The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. I'm glad you all came back. I know last session was a little intense. It was for me anyway. So this session is going to be a little more relaxed. We're going to dig into the text and talk about some practical applications, just work through some ideas about um, what it means to live a life that's rooted in this truth of being made in God's image. Um, Before I get there, though, I'm going to do something that is incredibly tacky. Um, If you have been to the book table, you might have seen a little red card like this. Um, I asked Jenny if I could pass these out. This is kind of an invitation to a podcast that I host with a friend of mine. The podcast is called Persuasion, Fine Ladies, Rational Minds, and the Best Kind of Company. And the reason I want to tell you about this is because I want you all to please take one of these home. We started a podcast with the purpose of having female voices working through practical cultural issues um, within a Christian context. It's been so much fun because we're not limiting ourselves to women's issues. We're talking about all the things that we would encounter online, in culture, in the news, and giving, kind of taking the opportunity to say, if male and female in the image of God we are made, if both male and female are necessary to displaying God's glory and to flourishing as human beings, Well, here's a female take on it. So if you all, on your way out or wherever, want to grab one of those cards, I would love to pass them all out and be able to tell Aaron, I passed them out, you know, maybe we'll get four or five people listening. (laughs) But no, it's seriously something we've been investing in. It's with a a website called Christ and Pop Culture. They produce it for us. That's also a fantastic website if you um, enjoy a Christian perspective on music, on film, on books. Um, They're a great group of folks who are really trying to work through worldviews and say, what is a uniquely Christian understanding of the culture around us? So there you go. There's my pitch. Now, in the last session, we, I tried to lay a foundation for this really large doctrine. Um, This doctrine of what it means to be made an image bearer, to be called to reflect and represent God's nature on this earth. And, you know, I hope it stirred something in your soul. I hope the truth of it resonated with you. But I also know that a lot of times we, we can have these theories or these beautiful ideas But then we turn around and we're actually living in the grit of everyday life. So I want to take this session to go back to the same text and work through it at a little slower pace, look at some of the very specific elements of what it means to be an image bearer. Really, we're just going to go back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and say, so what? So I'm an image bearer, so what? What does that mean? What is the practical ramification on my life? So let's go back there. If you have your scripture, open it. And I'm going to take 
a few minutes and just you can settle back, relax, and I'm going to go ahead and read the full portion of the text that we're going to be investigating. Um, I just want you to have the full context and the full picture. So this is starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us like make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruits and you shall have them for food. If you're familiar with theology at all, you might have heard this passage referred to as the creation mandate. Basically, what these verses tell us is how human beings flourish, what they need to fulfill the calling that God has placed in their life as image bearers. A mandate is also a command. So it's not simply that this is a good idea. This is what you must be doing. This is what is essential to your identity. This isn't a, oh yeah, I'd be kind of good. This is, no, if you aren't doing this, you're not only going to be experiencing a lack of fulfillment in your life, but you will also fail to fully fulfill God's command command to, to reflect his image. So I want you to think in those terms when we process through these ideas. These are things that are essential to being human. They are essential to being male. They are essential to being female. They're essential to you at five. They're essential to you at 15. They're essential to you at 75. These elements have to be in place for you to have a full, flourishing human experience as an image bearer of God. Now, the first thing that we recognize is at the very beginning, when God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And it's repeated in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Now, we've discussed this. We've kind of parsed the idea of what an image does, of the core calling. But we want to move on. I want to move on to kind of an application of that. And the so what. The so what initially, there's two that I want you to think of in terms of this. The first so what is dependence. Okay? You cannot reflect God's image without him. We are creatures. We are dependent on God to even fulfill the callings that are in our life. So the first thing that we must acknowledge as human beings is creaturehood. We're creatures. We're created beings. We're dependent. And this is going to be fundamentally different from what you see in society around you. 
what you see is an enthusiasm for the self-made individual. You see an enthusiasm and what you see rewarded is the person who steps out and says, I can do this on my own. You see rewarded this kind of gumption and ambition and, and arrogance and pride that says, I can do this. And so the first thing that you need to accept and believe and process is that your life as an image bearer only happens in humility. It only happens in dependence. Now there is a great joy when you finally understand that your calling is linked with God's nature. And for me, it elevated me. It made me understand this sense of value. But it also lowered me to a proper place of humility. It lowered me to the dust what that I was made from. This may sound like a funny illustration, but I grew up watching the Indiana Jones Chronicles, the, the movies. And in the third movie, The Last Crusade, which apparently wasn't The Last Crusade because we had number four, <laughs> he's searching for the chalice that's used at the Lord's the, the, the Last Supper. And if you remember, he comes to these uh, series of tests to get into the final room to, to find this. And one of the first tests is that he has to cross this booby-trapped um, tunnel and everybody else is trying and they're dying and gross things are happening. And the clue was that the penitent man will stand before the Lord. And so he's there and he's like, the penitent man, what does that mean? What does that mean? And he falls down on his face just as this massive knife or whatever is about to decapitate him. And the concept is you can stand before the Lord when you are low. When you recognize your creaturehood, when you recognize your dependence, you recognize that you must walk with him in humility. And you put your face to the dust from which you were created. And you acknowledge in that low place your dependence on him. And you know what he does? He lifts you up. We don't lift ourselves up. He lifts us up. If you remember in um, the revelation given to John at the end of the New Testament, he sees a vision of Christ and he falls down and Christ touches him. This is what our God does. And this is what we see in Philippians 2 where Jesus Christ humbles himself. And what does God do? When he goes low, God raises him up and seats him in heavenly places. So as an image bearer, we have this paradox of walking through life both dependent and in humility, knowing that God lifts us up and gives us our value. And that's the second application. So the first application is humility and dependence through your life. You are not enough. You cannot do it alone. You cannot save the world. There is one Messiah. It's not you. But you are valuable. 
Because God has placed his value on you. And I think this question of value is really important to us as women. We tend, some of us, we tend toward this comparison. Okay, this is where the mommy wars come from. This is even where the gender wars come from. It is this intrinsic need to say, I am valuable, please recognize my value. And so what we do is become very tribal among the people who do recognize our value and we invest in whatever is making us valuable and we look at someone else and say, you have no value because I need to have value. And if you have value and you do something differently than I do, then I don't have value. And so we strive with each other. But if we know that our value comes from God's nature suddenly we can stop striving. Suddenly we don't have to be the ones to lift ourselves up in pride to achieve value and to put other people down because when we walk humbly, God lifts us up. And God says, you have value not because you're enough, but because I'm enough. And I have placed my identity on you, and I have placed my image on you, and I have placed my nature in you. That brings you worth and value. Sorry, I said this wasn't going to get too too deep. (laughs) Can't help. (laughs) Can't help it. The second thing that we understand from this text, the first thing is that Bearing the image of God means we walk in dependence, we walk in humility, we are not enough. God raises us up with his image. He says, you are enough in me. I am enough. You are not enough. I am enough. The second thing, if we go back to the text, is that as soon as we realize that we don't have to strive for our value, we're also told that we do work. Okay, when we understand that we're not striving to be valuable, that kind of rolls a weight off of us, right? Isn't this how you feel in the gospel? When you finally realize that Christ's acceptance of you, that his grace is not based on your performance, you feel this sense of, that weight is gone. This is kind of funny, but it's similar to the acceptance in a good marriage. You know, you're dating, you're dating, you're dating, you're never sure if it's going to work out, you get engaged, you're closer, and then you marry, if you, you marry a good man who accepts you when you're in your pajamas and it's 12 o'clock <laughs> and you haven't had a shower yet because you've been writing for the last four hours for no point. <laughs> There's an acceptance in the covenant love of a marriage, a good marriage. It's the same as the acceptance in the covenant love of God's embrace of us through Christ's sacrifice and grace. And there's a security there. But that doesn't mean we just let ourselves go. It doesn't mean that we don't have productive work to do. We're not working for our salvation, but we've been created to do good works. 
We're not working to earn our husband's love, but it sure is nice to kind of dress up and bless him and actually, you know, serve him and and be put together sometimes. When we think of image-bearing, we have value already, but there's a component of the nature of God that means we will be productive people. We have a calling. Let's go back to the text. In verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And later in chapter 2, it talks about tending and keeping the garden. Part of being an image bearer means doing what God does, right? We've kind of established that over and over and over and over again. What is God doing for the whole first chapter of Genesis before this verse? He's being creative. He's being productive. He is bringing the entire universe into being. He is working. It tells us, you know, that six days God did work and on the seventh day he rested. And not only at creation, but the scripture tells us that God is still working. And Jesus worked in his earthly ministry. He worked to bring about our salvation. We are his craftsmanship. We are the product that he has been working on. Not only that, the Holy Spirit is working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. So part of what it means to look like God, to represent God, is that we will be productive, creative, working individuals. And this has nothing to do with whether you are a man or woman. It has nothing to do with whether you work in your home or you work in an office. It has nothing to do with whether you're 5 or 15 or 75. Being productive people is part of bearing God's nature. And I want to be very careful with this word work because the way our society uses it, we have a very narrow definition of it. We tend to hear work and we think career, office, something you're paid to do. But I want to broaden it. Work is simply using your resources, your talents, your time to steward the earth and serve the people around you. You remember Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that's in him. And in the New Testament epistles, Paul is regularly speaking to women and saying, you need to be productive workers. Do you remember the passages that talk about being workers at home? Okay, there's one, I think, in 1 Timothy and Titus. Now, it's easy to say, oh, we're supposed to be at home, except that's not the context of the scripture. If you look at the broader context of these verses about being productive women, you know, working at home, the emphasis is on the idea of working versus being idle. What happens when a woman is wealthy enough where she doesn't have to be productive? Well, the scripture tells us. She becomes lazy. She becomes self-indulgent. She becomes a busybody. She gets a Bravo show called 
The Real Housewives. <laughs> you know what this looks like for a woman to be so wealthy that she doesn't have to be productive and she just spends her time in foolishness. If there was a woman living that way, at the same time claiming to reflect Christ's nature, claiming to be an image bearer, she would bring disdain on the gospel. And that's exactly what those passages are saying. You reflect Christ's work by being productive women. It is an element of Christian maturity not to be lazy, not to be idle. Now, I think probably most of us don't fall into that cap. I mean, we don't naturally sit around our houses simply because we can't. Either we've got bills to pay or we've got children to feed. Just as an aside, um, I'm terrible with plants. Like, no green thumb, black thumb. And my husband's great with them. And, and I say to him, you know, I would do better with plants if they would cry to let me know that they need water. <laughs> When you have little children, it's just like this constant, I need, I need, I need, I need. And women in that position, they're very productive. They are constantly working and serving. But there's another element of bearing God's nature that um, isn't simply about serving, but it's stirring up the gifting that we have been uniquely given as individuals. Do you know that desire or that ambition, that ambition, that longing that you just have this one thing that you want to do, or you just can't sit still at home and maybe your kids are grown a little bit and so now your times they don't demand as much as your time and you're just kind of sitting there and your hands are just kind of, I need something. That is God's nature in you because he is always doing something. He is productive and creative. And so that sense of needing something to do, needing something productive to do, is part of being an image bearer. Now the only problem with this is, if we start defining productive by the world's values, we can get very confused very quickly. If productive only means you're making money for it, or you have something to show for yourself at the end of the day, or you rise in your field and you have colleagues and you go off to an office, if that's the only way we can define productivity, well, a whole lot of us might as well just forget it. Because a whole lot of us have very simple day-in, day-out work. That at the end of the day, we have nothing to show. And then we get up and we do the same thing again. And it's not just women maybe who are at home. It's, it's people in entry-level jobs. But their work is valuable because they're reflecting a God who works. Your work that you feel is overlooked and the world says isn't productive is valuable because you're reflecting a God who works. The first thing that we must understand about image bearing is that we walk in humility and God gives us our value. 
The second thing is that you must have a heart toward productivity and service. And God has given you a unique gift, and you need to figure out what that is and steward that gift for the service of the people around you. The third thing that the text reveals to us, let's go back to it. Verse 27 again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's interesting because we tend to know the second chapter of Genesis already. Okay, We know that God made Adam and he said it's not good that man should be alone. And so he makes Eve. But in this first chapter, the synopsis of that, the short version of that, is that God did not make one image bearer. He did not make one individual and say, that is enough to bear my image. In fact, when he made one, he said, that's not good enough. I need another individual to help this one individual. They need to live in communion. So the third thing that we understand about image bearing is that you must live out the nature of God in your life in relationship. You were made for relationships. It's not simply male-female relationships. There is an element of that, and we'll discuss it in a minute. It's the fact that you simply cannot do what you need to do as an image bearer alone. You are dependent not only on God, but you are dependent on each other in the form of community. Now, why? Like, we're each of us fully formed equal image bearers, right? So a woman bears the image of God equally to the way a man, equally to the extent that a man bears the image of God. We all are equal in that sense. But none of us can do it alone. What does that teach us about God's nature? What do you know about God's nature? You know one of the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith is the Trinity. That God himself exists in dependent communion within himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost work together and function together in community. They are each individually fully God, but they are also collectively the Trinity. This is each one of us fully bearing the image of God and yet living in communion so that we can reflect his own dependence. Now, I had mentioned this earlier that, you know, our society tends to celebrate individualism. We tend to celebrate, you did it by yourself. You pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. And I think women especially are given this language. Have you ever heard the language of autonomy used in the conversation about women's rights? Women's autonomy, right? We are pursuing women having control over their own, whatever, bodies, life, existence. 
So the rhetoric that women are sold on a regular basis from society is you need to be independent. You need to be independent from men. You are not dependent on them. You need to be autonomous. That's not what the scripture teaches us. Now, I will very quickly tell you, don't you dare find your identity in a man. Don't you dare look to a man as your, to give you your core sense of self. But at the same time, don't you dare think that you can reflect God's nature by yourself. You need your brothers. And that's where the question of gender comes in. You know, I think a lot of times in churches, we kind of land on gender and we want to talk about the differences between men and women and we want to talk about what does a woman do and what does a man do. Sure, after we get through all the rest of this first, then we can talk about that. Do you realize that gender is a limitation on you? It is a form of limitation. I cannot be a man and a woman at the same time. Okay, I'm a woman and a man is a man. And that limitation forces us together. It forces us to live in community because verse 27 says that male and female, God made us in his image. And so the dependence that comes from gender is a way to reflect the communal nature that God himself exists in. I think sometimes it's not just in terms of gender, though. You know, there is the question of how we talk about our autonomy and our, our want to be, our desire to be independent and, and run our own lives. But there's also this form of spiritual pride about independence I think we struggle with. Maybe, I know in groups of women I've seen this. I'm not going to say it's gendered and women do it more than men. I know I've seen it in women. I'm not around enough groups of men to know if they do it too. We have this sense of wanting to do it by ourselves. And we kind of shroud it in our minds with saying, well, I don't want to inconvenience anybody. Or, I just want to help out. But what we're trying to do is live independently of other people. We're trying to earn our value by doing things alone and not needing anyone else. And part of the reason we want to be independent is so that when we're successful, all the glory comes to us. If I don't have to depend on anyone else to achieve a certain goal, and I can do it on my own, when I finally achieve that goal, you know who gets praise? Me. And I don't have to share it. And that's the ugly truth behind a lot of our lack of living in community. But you see, if God himself exists in mutual dependence, part of reflecting his nature means being humble enough to say, I need you. It means being humble enough to pick up the phone and say, I've had an awful day. I know I have this responsibility at church. I know I'm supposed to do this, but I can't. Can you do it for me? And see, we don't like to do that because it's embarrassing. And it's humiliating because it cuts right to the truth that we're not enough. But in our weakness, in our helplessness, 
in our dependence on each other, we are reflecting the nature of God. That's why the body of Christ is spoken of as members that depend on each other. That's why we're a building of individual stones fit together, working together. That's why we live in community. That's why the church exists. That's why you need to be fully engaged in the church. Not to bring your gifts to them and bless them. Because you need to live in dependent relationship with people around you. That's part of being an image bearer. That's part of reflecting God's nature. Finally, in the text, let's read verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The first part of this, be fruitful and multiply, comes on the heels of what we just talked about, about male and female dependence. We are to be life-giving people. God is a life-giving God. Especially in context of creation. You see how powerful God is. He speaks and life just comes from his mouth. It's like life here, life there, life, 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 life. And it's just flowing from his essence. This is his nature to just exude life and health and peace. And so as his image bearers, we are to be life giving people. We are to be the source of life for those around us. And we do it in dependence on each other and on God himself. Now, we can see this easily in biology, okay? We don't have babies made without community, right? There is some pretty intimate union happening to bring a child into this world. And a lot of times when we land on this passage of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth, we tend to think in terms of biology. And that's very true and very legitimate. But there's also the recognition that some of us are not going to have children biologically. Some of us may never marry. Some of us may struggle to conceive. Some of us for God's, in God's purposes, may never have children in our home. So, does that mean we can't bear God's image? Because biologically, we're not life givers? Of course not. You see, so much of what happens in this physical realm is a reflection of what's happening in the spiritual realm. And so, our bodies teach us what it means to give life. Our bodies teach us that it happens in communion. Our bodies teach us that it requires sacrifice and suffering to produce new image bearers. But this idea of life being life-giving people isn't limited to biology. What is one of the central metaphors in the New Testament for how we think of salvation? It's the new birth. 
giving life, being people who are source of life. You know, if you think in John 3, when Christ was speaking with Nicodemus, this is the first thing that came to Nicodemus's mind. Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, ah, I know that in the, the physical realm. I know what that looks like biologically. So are you saying I need to go back into my mother's womb to be born again? See, Nicodemus knew that this was a metaphor for physical life. What he didn't understand was that Christ was talking about spiritual life. He was talking about the communion that is necessary for us to, through his Holy Spirit, nurture new spiritual life for those around us. We tend to think of nurture as something that women do, right? Women are the warm. My children say, oh, you're so soft, mommy. Yeah. That's your fault. <laughs> but no, I'm the cuddler. I'm the one that, you know, they're sick and, oh, poor baby. And I'm nurturing them. But nurturing and producing life is what people do. It's what image bearers do. Have you ever thought of the word husband? Okay, that's a male term, right? Husband. That's an agricultural term for fostering life, for nurturing life from the ground. And so this idea that we would be life-giving people, that the words of our mouth would be life and health and peace, that we would disciple younger believers, that we would evangelize people as they come through the new birth, this taking care of physical and emotional needs, nurturing one another, this is what it means to be a life-giver. Just like God is a life giver. But there's a danger of this. And it takes us full circle back to the first point about walking in humility. The danger, once you recognize this vision for your life and your calling, once you recognize the call to be a life giver, it's very easy to develop a messiah complex. It's very easy to work it up and try to be the source of life by yourself. I don't know if you've ever done that for a period of your life. I have, and this is how it works, ready? I just, I just wanna serve people and I wanna serve God and there's, there's just so many needs out there and, I'm just going to do it in my heart. I just, oh, I'm going to go save the world. Oh, yes, I'll do that for you. 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 Yes, I'll do oh, yes. Why are you always asking me to do things? You see, I have this, I can get started. I have enough of a reservoir to say, I can serve, I can be a source of life, but pretty quickly that dries up. And then pretty quickly I get resentful, and I get angry, and I get feeling put upon, and I get feeling like, God, do you know how much I'm serving you? Do you realize how much I'm reflecting you here? I am suffering for Jesus. 
And what has happened is we have taken on ourselves the nature of God without relying on God. We have tried to be image bearers without his Holy Spirit living in us, flowing through us to be the life that we are giving to other people. We are not ministering ourselves to other people. We are ministering Christ Jesus to other people. And we are simply a conduit for his life to flow through us. So part of being an image bearer means being a life-giving person. But being humble enough to depend on the source of life so that you can give life. In John 4, when Christ is talking to the woman at the well, he talks about this experience of the water of life bubbling up inside of her. He talks about it as if it was a spring that would just come flowing out. I don't know, I'm sure you have springs here on your hikes up in mountains, in our Appalachian Mountains. We go on hikes, and especially this time of year with the snow melt, you'll see water just coming out of the rocks it's not a stream it's not it's not a crick we say crick it's not a crick (laughs) it's a spring of life that the ground cannot contain it has to come flowing out and that's kind of what christ is describing he's describing this active live bubbling spring that would be a spring of life in this woman's heart but how does it get there What does he say to her? You drink of the water that I give you, and then it becomes a spring of life to other people. You drink of me and allow that water to flow through you and to bubble up and serve other people. And what's so beautiful about that passage is by the end of the story, that's exactly what she's doing. She has become a source of life for her whole town. But it started when she drank of Christ. And so when we think of being image bearers, it's all these things. It's, you know, having good productive work to do. It's living in relationship with other people. It's being a source of life for other people. But it all happens in dependence on Jesus Christ. Dependence on the image. When we think about all of these different parts, and I've kind of given them to you as a list, right? It's number one, number two, number three, number four. I think that's helpful to help us break the text apart. But now I want to take that list and put it back together. Because none of us live life based on a list. It's not like our days are happening, well, now I'm serving, now I'm being a life giver, now I'm living in relationship. All of these things are happening holistically. They're happening organically. And that's part of what's so beautiful about this text in the creation mandate, is all of these things are bound up in one place. They're bound up in one calling. They're bound up in one identity. They're bound up in one life. So there's an illustration I want to give you, and if you've read the book, you've already heard it, so sorry. 
When we think of living this fully formed life of being an image bearer, we talked about being a mirror that reflects God's nature. We talked about perhaps being a representation. Um, and I want to take those ideas and merge them together into a 3D illustration. Um, when I, before we had children, my husband and I had the chance to um, take a couple weeks and travel around Western Europe. And we were in Amsterdam. And I'm the kind to get the big ideas but never have the practical ability to actually make them happen. My husband, on the other hand, had folders for every city that we would be in, where we were staying, what time our train arrived, where, what we would do. And so on our itinerary for Amsterdam was to visit um, a diamond factory, for, a better, for lack of a better word. And this company had been in business for generations, and we were able to take a factory tour and see how they take a raw diamond and cut it with you know, up to 50 different cuts to allow the light to bend and refract off of these different angles. I like to think of our lives individually in terms of a diamond. Okay, you have this stone that by itself has no capacity to look brilliant. What makes that diamond shine is the light passing through it. And what enables that light to look so glorious is all the different cuts that are in that diamond that allow the light to bounce this direction and then bounce that direction, then bounce backwards, then bounce forwards, and then bounce out. And the whole time, it's cutting the light into this prism. And so you can see the colors of the rainbow if your diamond's clean and doesn't have pie dough in it. Your life as an individual is made up of a whole lot of different facets. And each one of you has a different life. And so you have this facet of the need to be a productive, working image bearer that cultivates your gifting. You also have this facet of needing to live in relationship with the people closest to you, like maybe your children or your roommates, and you have a responsibility to them. At the same time that you have a responsibility to pursue your gifting, at the same time that you have a responsibility to be a life giver and to invest in the spiritual well-being of the people around you, at the same time that you have all these other things happening, that is God's gift to you. Because in those limitations, in those tensions, is how the light of his nature comes into your life, bounces off of these tensions, and comes radiating forth in a unique way that you reflect and re represent him differently than I do. And I think a lot of times we fight these tensions because they're uncomfortable and they're difficult. Like, I'm trying to write here, but my kid just got sick and he's staying home from school. And so everything that was on my schedule to do here, I now have to give up to take care of him. Or I really, really believe that I'm supposed to go to this school, but I haven't been able to afford it yet. 
I don't have the money and I'm working really, really hard, but I'm working so much that I can't go to school. What I really believe God wants me to do. And there's these tensions that don't make any sense and they feel overwhelming. You know, we have this language when we're talking about um, work-life balance, right? There's the tension of the work that you might do in an office and the life you actually want to live. And I think we struggle under this so much, and the world around us struggles under this so much, because they don't have a way to reconcile them. They don't have a way to understand how all of these things fit together. And even as Christians, we could not understand how to reconcile them. And we will work and work and work to have a better schedule and be more productive and, and have, you know, the, the planner. And as we can just get everything in the right slot, we can be really productive and we can live this life. And we're counting on structure to reconcile differences that Jesus Christ is meant to reconcile. Go ahead and turn to Colossians 1. Because as I work through this process of calling, as I worked through the idea of being an image bearer and living in dependence on him, one of the most powerful truths that I discovered in the scripture is that as I'm navigating this life that God has given me, as I'm navigating the difficulties and the tensions that are in place. He is present there, but he is also reconciling them. Let's look at verse 15 of Colossians 1. He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. That sounds really familiar, doesn't it? In him we live and move and have our being. All things were created through him and for him. All things and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Get down to verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now a lot of times when we think of Jesus as a reconciler, we will t talk in terms of maybe racial reconciliation or the, reconci the reconciling of the genders or the reconciling of groups that have been warring. But if it is true that Jesus is the reconciler of all things, then he is also the reconciler of the tensions that you feel in your life. The desire, yes, I want to be a good mom. Yes, I want to pursue this gifting. Yes, I want to get this. Yes, I want to go back to law school. Yes, I want to... All these good desires only make sense when he has the preeminence over them, when we live under him as the creator. This is how it works. These things can't reconcile themselves to each other but they can be reconciled to Christ. And so, if you want to take the image of a bicycle wheel, 
if Jesus Christ is the center of your life, all the questions, all the difficulties, all the pressures that could never be reconciled between themselves suddenly find reconciliation in him. And they all move toward this center. Now that doesn't mean they're not going to, you're not going to feel the tension or you might have to give up something or you might think you're supposed to go one way only to have something else in your life pull you back this direction. What it does mean is that if Jesus Christ is the center of your existence, if you are looking to his nature, he will reconcile these things into a fruitful, productive, life-giving existence for you. It may not be the one you think it's going to be. It may not be the one that you're trying to force. But it will be the one that he and his sovereignty is giving to you. And you can be fully confident that in that place, you will be able to live fully formed as his image bearer. That you will be able to reflect his goodness. That you will be able to be productive. That you will be able to serve. That your gifts will find place. Not because you've worked it out. But because Jesus Christ is the reconciler of all things. And he bring, brings peace to this world. And he brings peace to you internally and through the different aspects of your life. This isn't simple, okay? This living in the image of God. I've given you this idea, and it all sounds great in here. And then you're going to go out, and you're going to try to live this. And it's going to be very difficult. And you're going to have to go through this process of saying, remember this, remember this, remember this. Jesus Christ is the center. Jesus Christ is the center. I'm destined to reflect his nature. This is what my core calling is. This isn't something we learn one time and then it's in place. This is a paradigm of thinking. And if there's anything I hope for is that if this paradigm wasn't in place, that it will have shifted for you today. So that you will understand your immense value as an image bearer, as a woman made in God's image. But you will also understand your tremendous dependence on him. And as these things converge in Christ, you will have the abundant life that he has promised you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, this is too much for us. It is too much to hope for. It is too much to understand. It is too much to know how to believe you for these things. And so we come to you humbly. We come in dependence. And we ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, would continue to teach us day in, day out, what it means to show forth your nature through Christ Jesus, for your glory. It's in his name that we ask these things. Amen.